0: Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it.
1: Now, here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. My guest today is a repeat guest to the show, and I'm so happy he's here. Steve Beeson is joining us again. For those who may have missed Steve the first time he came on explored the Space, Steve is a family medicine physician. He trained at UC San Diego, and he practiced in San Diego for many years with Sharp re Medical Group. He was the physician leader and coach of the Sharp Experience, which is one of the most successful healthcare organizational cultural improvement processes that's ever been undertaken. And he was involved in that from 2001 to 2014. He's written a couple of books, one called Practicing Excellence, one called Engaging Physicians. He is the founder of the Clinician Experience Project, which is something I can only guess how near and dear it is to his heart because it's extremely near and dear to my heart. He comes on today, though, to talk about an article that he wrote that popped up in the New England Journal of Medicine. And it's an article that he wrote called Coaching Clinician Colleagues. And it was in the New England Journal, Catalyst. And it was outstanding. I read it and I immediately emailed Steve and said, Steve, I need you to come back on the podcast because we got to talk about this. And Steve, being the gentleman that he was, said, yes, Steve, thank you so much. And welcome back to the show. No, I'm delighted to be here. It's always good to be with good friends. That's right. So I read this article on coaching. And uh, let's start off with taking people back a little bit. You were my coach. So, I was a couple of years out of residency. I'd been working with Sharpery Steely for a few years as a hospitalist. And I remember I came to you because I just felt like things were stagnating for me. I felt like I'm competent managing, diagnosing and managing and describing disease. I felt like I was a good teammate. I felt like things were moving, but there was no spark. I felt like things were a little stagnant. And I knew that you'd been doing this work with Sharpery Steely. And I remember I saw you at a meeting and I said, Steve, I I need a coaching session. Can I come and meet with you? And I tell people that story all the time because that was one of the most important things that's happened to me in my career. So why? Why was that so important? Why do I still tell the story about when I approached you and said, Steve, I need a coaching session? Why now, eight, nine years later, am I still, does this still resonate so much with me?
0: You know it's you know and this is why we do the work that we do i mean it's uh you know to be in a position as a as a colleague helping colleagues rediscover that this profession can be extraordinary and all the best of it is still sitting there in front of us and sometimes it's just allowing us to sort of focus on the really simple tactical uh prescriptive techniques that we can remind ourselves of in that exam room and and sort of harvest what happens in that patient encounter you know, can be an extraordinary experience, not only for those that are coached like you and kind of what that what you went through to uh, to see and discover and rediscover how extraordinary medicine can be, but really what it's like for the coach as well to be uh, a participant and an instrument in helping clinicians get better on the things that matter is is an extraordinarily fulfilling professional endeavor. And so that's why I've been so passionate about helping clinicians really become the clinicians they thought they were going to be when they joined this profession in the first place. Because if you haven't noticed, uh, the the clinical body across this country has gotten a little distracted with all the (laughs) cheering
1: forces on it. So let's take take everyone that's listening, let's take them back a little bit. I want to walk people through what medical training is like. And I think it's good for us to juxtapose that to the experience that most people who go into healthcare have had. Most people that go into healthcare at some point in their life experienced a team based sporting event or some sort of activity where they had a coach, whether it was sports, whether it was debate, whether it was acting, whether it was playing an instrument, whatever it was at some point, the vast majority of us experienced the ups and downs of having a coach, someone that was looking over your shoulder to provide guidance, to provide a little goose if you needed it, to provide critical feedback, to help you develop in whatever it is you were trying to do. We go into medicine, we study, we work, we are immersed in training for many, many years. And then we sort of pop out of that tunnel and that whole lifetime of having people behind you, having people looking over your shoulder, having people supporting you, helping you grow, helping you develop and whatever it is that you are heavily invested in, it stops. When, no, I, when yeah. I left residency, it stopped. And you're just like, uh, I have some money to do some continuing medical education, but now I, I'm, I'm rolling solo. Right? Why, do, it, it, why do we do it that way?
0: You know, it's it, it's incredible. I mean, if you look at the things, the composite things that are most predictive of a clinician's impact clinically, behaviorally, and culturally within a healthcare system. I mean, you know, clinicians in general are, we're 90% of all clinical activity. We account for 80 cents of every dollar in, in healthcare. And uh, in, in by virtue of what we do and how we do our clinical work, uh, we have a profound impact on the patient experience, particularly in the outpatient environment, And our behaviors and how we show up in the clinical system is immensely contagious. We can make the team hum and elevate, or we can dismantle the team by virtue of how we show up. And the composite of behaviors that make for really, really great great clinicians, certainly first and foremost, our, our clinical skill, our ability to diagnose and manage disease, pattern recognition, to be able to take objective information and distill it into a clear, succinct differential to test against it, using value-based and evidence-based, you know, care protocols. Uh, yes, that's that's the most important thing that we do as clinicians. But if, if we can't, for example, establish trust and connectivity with a patient in the exam room, then I don't care how good our diagnoses are, they're not going to participate in the treatment plan if they don't believe and trust that we've got their best interest at heart. And, and so, you know, you know the, the commitment to continuous improvement and the different domains of really great clinicians, connectivity to patients, the leadership of teams, connectivity to staff, being a good colleague... I mean the, the, the culture of the organization is at risk by virtue of how colleagues treat colleagues. And and those are coachable, trainable skills that we that we make good referrals, that we're there for each other, we position each other well, that, that, that the fabric and the and the culture of the organization is dependent upon the connectivity of that community. And those are in part kind of emotional intelligence skills that we can coach, train, and develop. So the syllabus, if you will, and the journey of continuous improvement is certainly how is it that we can bring the evidence-derived skills into the exam room so the patients walk out and say, best ever. Everybody I know, love and care about has got to come here for their health care. And our staff feels the same way, saying, man, I love working for our team. You know, I count. I'm asked. And I and I contribute to how care can be better, and we've got low hierarchy, and we can speak up if there is a challenge or an issue, and the clinician that I'm a part of and that is the leader of our team is doing things in a way that, man, I'm never going to leave and go anywhere else in terms of where I'm working as a nurse or as a a technician, as a pharmacist, And, and the colleagues are getting along really well. So how clinicians interact with patients, staff, team, colleagues, those are all Critical skills, and and ironically, we get pretty good medical training. uh, But the other domains that are so immensely predictive of a clinician's contribution to the culture and performance, uh, and even clinical performance of a healthcare system, frequently are not trained in medical school much at all, and there's not a lot of uh, training afterwards. So the the very things that we're accountable for, things like patient satisfaction and a culture of safety, we don't grow and develop, and you know so. You know the the need to develop a continuously improving learning culture that continuously improves uh, in all of its work, clinically and non clinically, and behaviorally. I think is a vital uh, predictor of an organization's trajectory and its ability to get the work done and the value, patient centered consumerism, safety, reliability cultures that we all find ourselves in.
1: I'm going to continue to build on this idea of coaching, leveraging the idea of a sports coach. Cause as you know, that's that I'm a huge sports fan always have been. So tennis was my game, right? You can learn the basics of tennis. You can learn how to swing a racket. You can do that sort of stuff, but going through that lengthy syllabus of things you just described, I'm going through in my head as a tennis player, if I had tried to learn how to hit a slice serve, a flat serve and a kick serve, be able to place them out wide up the middle, up the tee be able to do it under pressure, be able to do it against a right-hander and a left-hander, be able to mix speeds. If I hadn't had a coach, I would not have gotten those things done. As a physician, I can manage heart failure. I can manage diabetes. I can manage a ventilator. But all of those nuances, all of those things that you just described, if you don't have somebody that's there to circle back with you to help you, you're going to really have a difficult time and it can become very frustrating because we're all high achievers and deep down inside, you know, you're having a difficult time. You know, you're not ah right where you should be. But for medicine, this dynamic of coaching, to me, at least seems like it's very new. You know, your, your article is in the New England Journal of Medicine catalyst section, right? Catalyst, the thing that makes things start, the things that makes things go. Where are we when we think about physicians even considering the idea of having a coach
0: well you know i think that uh there's a couple of different um kind of stimulants if you will for a coaching culture you know the most rudimentary is you know clinicians are now accountable for for skills that we never learned and you know there there's rising transparency increasing importance on things like patient experience uh and And so some organizations will say, we need to coach and train our clinicians by virtue of the fact that we're struggling on these domains. So they'll see and have the insight that coaching and training can help improve clinician performance engagement and uh, help physicians improve. So, you know, one of the things that's so important is clinicians' desire to be able to get better. And I wrote about this as what we call coachability. There, there's a spectrum of clinicians that are uh, that we coach and train there there are sometimes coaching is used as remediation uh, to help those that are really really struggling and under those circumstances coaching can still work uh, but what we have found it consistently is that when coaching is layered, Uh, on clinicians that desire to get better, that raise their hand and say, I'm interested. The Mark Shapiros that walk into your room and say, I want to get coached. The delta between how much they improve compared to those that are coached by virtue of meeting coaching criteria, meaning patient complaints or low patient satisfaction scores, those with higher coachability have significantly higher response rates to coaching. And so what we've learned and uh, reflected on in a coaching pathway is is trying to create draw and pull into the coaching process and a really important part of the coaching process when we coach and train behaviors when you talk about all the different skills that you need as a tennis player there's many many different skills uh, behavioral skills that make for really great clinicians how we connect with patients how we lead our teams how we interact with their colleagues how we interact with our staff but we we wanna make it really, really simple. And we give clinicians really simple prescriptive things to do in the exam room or during a huddle or with a colleague or with a staff member. We allow them to go through the toll booth of the experience of what happened when you did that. And universally, I'd say without exception, when a clinician engages in a particular behavior, whether it be the recognition and appreciation of a nurse, asking a patient, you know, what about all that you're going through right now worries you the most, the expression of empathy and, you know, all these really, really tactical things and allow them to debrief what they experienced when they went through it. Not only do they continue to do that skill forevermore, but they they begin to become champions and evangelists for that skill to their colleagues. And you begin a process of skill exchange among clinicians and you transition the conversation from putting up a dashboard with Green, yellow, and red boxes in it that makes everybody's eyes roll to <laughs> to to a to an engaging conversation about how can we become better clinicians together to on things that really, really matter, and and to watch that that process occur is really what a coach does and allows that that development of a coaching culture, which is a, an extraordinary thing to be a part of.
1: When you want to develop that coaching culture. Let's even go a step back further, though. You have to break through that initial shell, that initial resistance, right? Everything that you've just described, that was people participating in the process, albeit reluctantly. How do we even start that conversation? How does a leader of a team, and look, this isn't just in medicine. This is in any organization. This is with any profession where you have a skill that you need to get better at. How do you open the the discussion to say, listen, listen. This is what we want to do. And this is a way to get where we want to go. How does that process work to even introduce the idea into a culture that has been without?
0: Right. You know, one of the most power it's a great question. One of the most powerful, you know, entries for how do we initiate coaching in our organization or with a team or with an individual? And those that are responsible for the coaching, for them to be able to tell their own story in a what we call me then the. Model uh, in the spirit of servant leadership that we got to become students to become coaches. And we learn the skills, we try the skills, we experience what it's like to be better, to serve better, to connect better. And we harvest our own personal revelation and we share that with our colleagues and allow them to say, eh, I want some of that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, it's it's really authentic, uh, it's genuine, and it's a pull rather than a push, and it draws people in and reminds people why we got into this profession in the in the first place. And so, as we as we counsel, uh, you know, how do we begin the coaching conversation? We we never say uh, you need to go do this to get better at X Y or Z, but we begin to frame it around our own. Uh, personal story. Just to give you a to give you an example, I, I was uh, coaching a group of internists. Uh, this was uh, gosh a couple of months ago, and the skill that they were interested in uh, was the narration of uh, physical examination. And so we do a little in the clinician experience project. We do a little bit of what we call flip classroom, where they they learn on their own, they they try skills, and they come back to sort of debrief what the impact was. So. The narration of a physical examination was simply telling patients what you're looking for and what you're finding what you're discovering It conveys thoroughness and expert hands and it's a it's a compelling connecting gesture uh, when done well and so we reassembled this group of internists and went around the room in terms of what their experience was of narrating the physical examination and you're probably thinking yeah, that sounds like such a basic rudimentary thing uh, but to listen to clinician after clinician after clinician after clinician describe how patients were responding and what they were seeing and observing in terms of their connectivity uh, and communication and education and facilitation of participation of patients was extraordinary. And when they were done, I can guarantee you with certainty that each of those physicians today are doing the same thing, having again gone through the toll booth of seeing and experiencing what a skill can do. And I can also verify to you that each of those clinicians that were involved in that initial work group are coaching and training their colleagues in every venue that they've got regarding the power of narrating the physical examination. And this is an example of of building a a learning culture that was by the decision that this is a worthwhile thing to do. And it was framed up by a story of their local coach regarding the power of narrating the physical examination, which is the reason they grabbed onto that skill in the first place. So this is what coaches can do. They can introduce a skill, frame it uh, on the testimony of what they've seen, discovered, and the benefit that they've seen, and allow that to serve as the nidus for colleague to colleague skill spread and building this way, this social contagion of uh, doing things better and seeing the, the benefit of better connectivity to patients and colleagues and staff and running better huddles or managing opioid seeking patients or whatever the skills are that you're, that you're working on that represent the immense challenges that each of us have in front of us now.
1: You're the one that taught me that skill. I use it every single time I examine a patient and every time I do it and I say your thyroid gland feels totally normal to me, your lungs sound clear, your heart sounds normal, does your belly hurt, I'm not feeling it. I see them visibly relax and more than half of the time they they will articulate something about, okay, good. Or if I hear something that's not normal, if I say, listen, I can hear some fluid crackling around in the bottom of your lungs and here's what I propose we do about it. They are so engaged. They're reaching for their spirometer. They're telling me, yeah, I want to do this. I want to get up out of bed. I know this is the things that are going to help me get better. I I coach that skill as well because it's so important. This is the thing though. We have to teach everybody. That one. And the reason I say everybody, I remember going through medical school and I remember all the didactic training sessions and I remember all of the training sessions with a, uh, you know, an actor playing the role as patient where we had a whole checklist of all the different parts of the exam and this and that and all these things you had to do. That wasn't there. We weren't taught hey, it's a really good idea and a great way to connect with your patient that as you're finishing a component of the physical exam, describe to them what you're seeing, feeling, hearing, and why is it relevant? We were not taught that. We know it's powerful. We know it's vital. But we have to teach everyone. So you talk about this needing to become, you know, the best type of contagion. Yeah, that's it, because this needs to get scalable quickly. We have generations of physicians and nurses who were not taught that skill.
0: No, it is, it, it's extraordinary. And you know, a lot of the work that we've done with coaching training physicians and, and more specifically in the clinician experience project is, is to be able to create a colleague to uh, colleague skill exchange, you know, yeah, a yeah. community of learning. Because okay. when there's, there's another great story, a surgeon who had learned the skill and the power of recognizing those that they work with there was a uh, a surgeon on the med search floor that was having some tension and difficulty with uh, the nursing up there and so we did a coaching session with this surgeon and the skill that we decided to commit to that he was willing to to try was the recognition and appreciation of the nursing staff and uh he tried this he pulled the nurse aside after rounding and he said to the nurse you know I've, I've never really had a chance to say this but i want to thank you for the outstanding work that you do and caring for our patients together and i just want to let you know that uh when you're on i i feel good about the care that uh, our patients are getting and he ended up the, the 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 nurse's response was so compelling he ended up calling me that evening and uh, really in tears uh, saying, I, I can't believe all the years that I've missed and what a simple thing can do and what a profound response that has. And what happened with that surgeon was he brought it to his general surgery meeting. He spoke at the medical staff meeting. He became again the, uh, the node of spreading skill to skill, colleague to colleague. And again, if you look at change management, And there's a group of people that goes first, and the coach can be the inoculant for getting that to begin. But then you get a couple of converts that are willing to stand up and say, hey, this is worthwhile doing. And allow that social contagion to take over. And then all of a sudden you realize, gosh, look at it. We're all narrating our physical examinations. Hey, look, we're all appreciating the nurses. Hey, look, we're all introducing ourselves and what our role is in care. Hey, we're all expressing empathy and recognizing what the patients are going through. Hey, we're identifying what the patients are wanting to achieve. And then all of a sudden you go, gosh, look, at we were in the 17th percentile. Uh, six months ago and look at us, we're in the 83rd percentile now, not, not that that's why we do the work because the mission has always got to be, how do we, uh, you know, create, you know, extraordinary care in the exam room, but you can create a wave of cultural transformation, not by administrative mandate, but by setting a social contagion of doing the right thing for the patients and each other and allow that learning culture to really develop and grow. And allow the clinicians to experience what it's like to get better. Um, I and mean, if you look at the big drivers of human contentment, you know, if, if you look at the sociological literature, the psychology literature, that big millions of patients are, are uh, people uh, studied in terms of what are the things that really, truly drive human contentment. And the, it really just dist- distilled down to three things, which I believe in my heart and soul. Uh, number one is mastery. Uh, when people are really good at things that is a driver of human contentment Uh, the second is living authentic lives meaning i'm living my life according to my values and you know clinicians have a strong value system of doing the right thing for the patients and extraordinary care and this coaching allows that to manifest and the third is a sense of belonging you know i belong to a tribe I've got a group that we care about. We do things together and a a coaching culture and getting better together um, I think, pulls all three of those levers, allows us to be really, really good at what we do, uh, particularly in skills that nobody has taught us that, again, we're accountable for, uh, allows us to live authentic lives and be the kind of doctors we thought we're going to be when we joined this profession in the first place. And it allows us to do it together as a, as a, as a group of clinicians rebuilding our community that has been eviscerated, uh, with all the shearing forces out there. And, and so that, you know, that's, that's why I'm so passionate about, you know, building a coaching culture is, I mean, it's good. It's good for patients. It's good for reliability and safety and elimination of harm, but I got to tell you, it's better for the clinician and it is heartbreaking to see the greatest profession ever with the data that we've got right now in, on physician burnout. And uh, I, I think that's the greatest dividend of getting better together on things that matter is at the end of the day, week, month of your life, you can drive home and say, man, this is, this is everything I thought it was going to be. And that's, that's really the night is for uh, the driver for this coaching culture.
1: There's no one better at sounding the horn to get people to rally to something like this than you as I, I, I've been lucky enough to hear you talk about these things and to talk about them directly with you. And I always get that same feeling of just being so excited and so fired up. The thing is, is that there's only one Steve Beeson. You you live in one part of the country and of course you travel and you try to touch as many docks as you can and you, you make a, a big impact there, but there will need to be a generation Of physicians who want to be coaches, not just who want to be coached, but are also able to coach, to do the coaching itself. How does that process develop? How do we start to help people not just want the desire or rekindle the desire, just like when they played soccer as a kid and had a great coach, to be coached again to be a great physician? How do we start to get people to then pivot and say, not only am I a busy doc and I have all these responsibilities, but I actually want to coach people to do this stuff. How do we start to replicate so that it's not just an army of one?
0: Right. No, I think it's, I think it's a really important thing. I think that first of all, as organizations set their strategic imperatives and if they say our strategic imperatives are to build a patient centered culture, uh, and we're going to quantitatively prove that by being in the top decile of the patient experience. And we want to, uh, we want to build a highly collaborative, high performing team-based culture. And we're going to quantitatively verify that by a safety culture score of X and reducing em- employee turnover. And once you set those goals, then you got to figure out a strategy and the set of behaviors that will allow that to get there. And frequently those strategies can involve we need to skill build among our clinical teams to allow those behaviors to manifest. And that's frequently the context of, of developing a clinician coaching effort. Uh, and I think that there, there's certainly value in, in having designated, interested, passionate clinicians that can lead the way uh, in terms of initiating a, a, a coaching role. And those coaches can coach one-on-one clinicians that are really struggling, who are raising their hands, saying, "Uh, I need some help. And I've coached over 500 clinicians shadowing and watching and observing and providing feedback and debriefing with them. Uh, They can also coach in the group context. And I think that that, uh, you know, you coaching the hospitalist group or an ED group uh, or a family medicine site or different specialists or even LVN's MAs and physicians together are different environments of coaching 3 4, 5, 10 12 15 20 at a time on the simple skills that can really really work and the and the power of people getting better together but but I think that the the really skilled coaches uh, are able to to really realize that you know those that they coach they now have a responsibility to teach others and you don't have to coach everybody you have to t- coach 8 to 10% of your group. And then as soon as that eight to 10% group, uh, engages and commits to behavioral change in the exam room or whatever skills that they're learning and are willing to, uh, learn the skills, try the skills and share the skills and to teach others. That's really all you need. If you look at change management literature, you just need eight to 10% tipping point, as we say, uh, to begin that, that social contagion spread. And so an intelligent coaching effort Will will be very deliberate about not you don't have to coach everybody. You have to you have to coach enough for the the auto catalytic process of spread of skills from one clinician to another Uh, but I'm I'm Obviously a big advocate of formal coaching uh, within healthcare systems particularly when you start holding clinicians accountable and holding their pay at risk for things like patient experience and team interaction and team performance, you you can't hold people accountable for stuff that they don't know how to do. It's, it's just, it's unfair. And in, in all of my years of coaching clinicians, I've never met one who could articulate why patients say what they say about them. They don't know. And, and we, so we've got to, so that's just one more reason why building a coaching program, if you will, can be
1: really, really helpful. As these programs start to build, as enthusiasm for this grows, because I I really do think that this is going to be something that, at at a rapidly growing rate, teams, organizations, and healthcare are really going to gravitate towards to say, we need this, we want this. And here are the reasons why, and hopefully get a little bit more sophisticated in articulating the reasons why, as opposed to the standard, we want to raise our scores in X. We want to improve your monitored performance in Y. We want to remediate you. All the things that drive physicians crazy and make this feel like a a negative or a pejorative, we want, it's going to turn hopefully into that thing of, we are going to create the community that's going to learn, it's going to improve together and really thrive together do you have any sense of the timeline? Because everyone on the other side of the equation who's listening to this or has thought about this is saying, yes, please. That's exactly what I want my physician to do. That's exactly what I, what I want the administrators of the health plan that I'm a part of to be focusing on. Yes, please. Is there any sense from you, because I don't think anyone has a better sense of the pulse than you do, of the rate at which this is going to start to build?
0: I don't know the definitive answer. I've had a chance to observe, be a part of, uh, in and out, and was a participant in an organization that went uh, our bottom to top decile performance. You know, the the best of circumstances, it's a two to three year process to really get a pretty fundamental cultural change. And I would say the predictors of success are, uh, like anything else, is leadership commitment and endorsement. Uh, When the board, executive team, physician leaders say us getting better together is worth every ounce of effort we're about to put into it and building patient loyalty and patient engagement and a work environment where people are getting better together on things that really matter, we're going to back that full throttle and I'm going to lead the efforts by example. I'm going to model the behavior I'm going to message uh, regarding uh, a continuous learning culture and connectivity to patients and team performance and culture of safety behaviors i'm, I'm going to celebrate the people that are doing it i'm going to give them the mic to tell their story i'm going to select one physician coach for every 100 clinicians that we've got and help and support them and build a coaching culture i'm going to dedicate a little piece of each of our agendas for each of our monthly physician meetings dedicated to a new skill uh, and and we're going to get better together it's when you when you have that kind of environment, you can go pretty quick. But if you have leaders that you know are rolling their eyes and are freaked out and paranoid about HCAPs and CAP scores, and they carry their banner of "We've got to do this because CMS says so and improve your patient satisfaction scores or else," and that's the messaging to physicians, we will gladly crawl into a foxhole and throw a hand grenade at that one.
1: So, yeah, you get, you just got,
0: you, you got it. You know, yeah. great leaders will use a clinician's language, and a yeah. clinician's language is: we want to get better provider, provide higher, reliable, evidence-based, better care to patients, and we want to walk out and have patients say, "Man, I know my care plan, um, I know my role." I, I, I trust my clinician. They really listen to me. They really cared about me, and I and I get what I'm supposed to do. And I know what the follow up is going to be for. I know my return precautions, and I got my med list, and i and I even high five my physician at the end of the clinical encounter. It was awesome. You know, when you when you've got that and you can advocate for that, then there's no stopping you. it. It's just like anything; it's predicted by. By the effectiveness of, of leadership and whether we're able to enroll, engage, and mobilize colleagues around getting better together. Or if we try to go command and control style, it, it doesn't work in the exam room and it certainly doesn't work among physicians.
1: I agree with all of those things completely. There's one thing, though, that I think we could add to that is the making sure that physicians have the right toolbox. And I remember when I first was exposed to you know, the, the age caps, right? These, these, these forms that are sent to patients to evaluate their stay in a hospital. And I would get information back. I was like, there's no tools for me to get better. You're telling me that patients feel like I'm not communicating well. You're telling me that patients feel like the nurses aren't engaged or whatever the case may be. There's no tools to get better. You have taken the last almost now a decade to start to create that toolbox And to do it in a way, right, physicians teaching physicians, physicians learning from physicians, doing it in a way that we're used to and that really becomes part of the DNA, that's a big thing about what you've been doing. And I would like you to to discuss the power of having a toolbox like the Clinician Experience Project, because having watched, observed, and been fortunate enough to be a part of this entity and its growth and seeing how... Much you've been able to put into it, and now that it's really got a foothold, to see people opening that toolbox and and really diving into it, what what is the role of the clinician experience project in driving this 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 spread, this contagion? Right. Well, the uh, the
0: clinician experience project has been the idea of it. Like like many ideas, uh, came uh, from coffee at Starbucks (laughs) a number of years ago. And I was with a buddy of mine and we're talking about, you know, coaching is working, helping clinicians get better matters in, in ways well beyond what we could have imagined. Meaning it's really servicing the heart and soul of the clinicians that are providing such a big part of care. And, But there was a real issue of scale. You know, you know, uh, the Sharpie Studio Medical Group, we had 23 different clinical sites separated over over about 40 miles. And it was just hard to to scale things like that. So we wanted to create a solution that would have quick, easy solutions to the problems that we're faced with every day, whether it be, again, the opioid seeking patient or what do you do with a late arriving patient or what do you do with the patient requesting antibiotics for the viral illness or the medically unnecessary test to creating a first impression to running a safety huddle to how do you manage the fact that when you when you don't know the diagnosis so you don't sound like you're clueless and you know the the hundreds and hundreds of skills that make for really really great clinicians we knew that they were working and we knew that clinicians found immense value we knew that the mastery journey was something that was restorative and uh created a continuous improving culture so we we wanted to create uh, a place that had these kinds of solutions and uh the real purpose of the clinician experience project which is a uh which is a learning community is you know people will look at it initially and say this is an instrument to find uh two-minute coaching tips on how to improve patient experience and team interaction which is which is true but its real spirit is to to restore the clinician experience and and knowing that uh, it was founded by a group of clinicians and we saw the benefits of what happened to the clinician when we got better uh, in terms of connectivity to each other, collaboration with their teammates, being better colleagues, creating and raising collegiality and a sense of team. And we're in this together and we're in service to things that are bigger than any one of us. And what it's like to really truly connect uh, to patients in the exam room. And so the clinician experience project is is a, is a learning community that allows that to happen and to, to to solve the challenge that each of us have, which is now that we've got the increased accountability and risk associated with performance, we sure as heck better have a solution because as we just the wave of pay for performance and all the other things that are happening in healthcare, it just demands that we have, you know, a response to the circumstances we're in right now, which is we have to help our clinicians get better on the things that drive the drive the culture and performance of our group. Yes, and restore their sense of uh, purpose, connectivity, collaboration, well-being, mastery, and all the things that uh, at the end of our run uh, are underneath the hood of clinicians that love what they do. And, and that's really what the Clinician Experience Project is about. It's just a, it's a skill building center that allows clinicians to help each other get better on the things that matter. And for organizations to have a response to how do we help our clinicians get better. And it's been unbelievable. Uh, the response that we've gotten, including an email that came in from a, <laughs> a clinician just a couple minutes ago, even on the phone, regarding the the impact that we're beginning to see with it. It's really exciting.
1: The way you frame that I think is so important that this is not just for the individual physician to find, but this is the one that the organizations that are hearing their physicians don't want to talk about metrics related to these things anymore. They 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 feel equipped. They feel like they're getting pushed. They feel like too many different things are happening and they can't get better. They don't have the time or any of the number of things that, that people will throw up as resistance. This is that place that people can go to or an organization can go to, a team can go to, to do the work together, to jump in together and to pick the tracks, to pick the curriculum, to pick the material that's meaningful and, and I speak I speak about this, obviously, not just as someone who uses it, but having been lucky enough to be a part of it from early on and, and learning right. and developing curriculum right alongside you, it, there is nothing better than diving back into the stuff that is so important and meaningful to us as docs and to think about how can I make it better? How can I re-engage with those things to teach it, to learn about it, to talk about it, to, to argue about it, to rethink it, to try it again? It's so right. exciting it's so inspiring and it's it's totally unique
0: yeah no it is and and you know Mark you did such a fantastic job on our hospitalist patient experience uh, work it's still it's so highly regarded by hospitalists across the country so of course I want to thank you uh, for your contribution now we've got clinicians from all over the country that are helping and contributing as we as we curate the best of approaches whether it be high reliability or how to build a clinician community to leadership approaches and, you know, uh, you know, all the other things that, that, uh, will we'll never be done with creating a curating uh, curriculum. Uh, and it, it's just been, it's been extraordinary to watch clinicians, uh, getting better and, you know, seeing the impact of, of just, again, I've said it over and over again, but watching clinicians remember why they joined this profession and going through that going through that rediscovery, uh, has been you know uh, a life worth living <laughs> from my perspective. There's there's really nothing more fulfilling than watching clinicians to say, "I forgot," this is awesome, and and to, and and then to watch them stand up and tell their colleague and so on and so forth, and to watch the organization get better has just been it's been a total privilege to be. To be a tiny little participant in that activity.
1: It's funny. You sort of captured the, what I think is how you'd answer my next question, which was, and it's it's actually built on a conversation I remember you and I had many years ago around, you're going to create a movement here. You're going to sound the call to action and you're going to do Steve Beeson things that get people fired up, that get people motivated and engaged. Are you up for this? This is a big thing that you're about to do. It's going to work. It's going to be big. Are you, are you up for it? Now, years down the road, I was wondering, now that it's getting bigger and the call to action continues to expand, that the work obviously is going to continue, do you still feel as fired up, more excited, or is there a sense of, I'm ready to pass the baton? My, Steve Beeson's work is <laughs> done, and I need other people to pick it up because there's other things that I need to look at to pay attention to. Well, I, no, I, I think that
0: I'm, I'm more excited than ever and more affirmed that helping and supporting clinicians to get better together is uh, the reason I was placed on this earth in addition to being a husband and father. <laughs> but, you know, everybody's got, you know, you got to reflect saying, you know, what kind of impact do I want to make? That, that's mine. And, it, and it, uh, it's, it's deep in my core and I will continue to run at full throttle to do it. But there has been a shift where relying less on, hey, Steve, what do you think the best technique is for this, to uh, shifting to what are the best thinkers across the country think about opioid management, uh, to think about clinical documentation practices, uh, to think about, you know, high reliability. And, and now I get to uh, be coached again from some of the national leaders and innovators. So, you know, just like I was coaching initially, now I'm just learning. And I get to interview them. And I've got uh, two physicians coming in the office at our studio here tomorrow to get interviewed. And it's just, so, so for me, it's it shifted a little bit in terms of me coaching to me facilitating the thoughts and ideas and techniques of others and tapping the project as a, as a technology spread mechanism. And uh, so it has shifted a little bit, but the speed has definitely picked up, but just in a little bit slightly different curating direction. Um, which has been really exciting for me.
1: This next phase is going to be a fascinating one. As people hear this and they want to learn more, how do we find Steve Beeson? How do we find the Clinician Experience Project?
0: Yeah, I think probably the best way is, you know, you can certainly go to our website, which is uh, practicingexcellence.com, and you can contact us uh, through that site when you email us. You know, there's lots of things. There's stories of, of success there. There's... There's blogs and sort of a summary of what we do and sample tours and that sort of thing. And I'm not hard to find. Uh, my email is Stephen S T E P H E N at practicing uh, I'm super responsive uh, to my email and, and love to hear from folks in terms of what they're struggling with and whatever struggle you've had, I've been there <laughs> done that. And uh, even though we've had epic success with uh, our work here, There were many stupid failures that we did along the way. So uh, I can console and help and support uh, folks along the way. But that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. And uh, I'm always happy to, to chat with others that are on a similar journey.
1: The other nice thing is that the article that we referenced at the beginning of this which was the one that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine Catalyst section. That's also really easy to find. And I actually do want my listeners to take a look at this article because it's titled Physician Coaching. This is for anybody that's in a profession where they have folks that want to be coached, maybe need to be coached, those who are interested in becoming coaches. It's all here, catalyst.nejm.org, and you just put in Physician Coaching and you'll find it easily. And it's, it's a fabulous resource. Steve, it was a fantastic paper. I'm so glad that you wrote it, and I'm so glad that it was able to bring us back together on the podcast to talk about all of this amazing work.
0: No, it's uh, my pleasure, Mark, and so appreciate our friendship and uh, our our shared mission, and uh, just love working with you. It's uh, you're you're a you're a bright spot in healthcare, and it's it's fun hanging out with you whenever I can.
1: Well, Steve, I really appreciate that, and I feel exactly the same way. I can't wait for the next thing to pop up in the social media world so we can have you back on the podcast for a third time to keep the conversation going. And once again, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to Explore the Space.
1: Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETSshow.
0: And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.